Thank you for being here today. You could have chosen to stay in and nobody would have criticized you. I'm glad you came out though. We're working on, I don't know, uh, maybe by tonight or next Sunday, for those that have to stay home, we're gonna try to get the services live feed. That's something that uh, some have been pressing toward that have moved away from our church. They say, we miss your messages, Pastor Butts. I say, ah, oh, thank you. No, but uh, we'll see if we can get that arranged, maybe even for tonight. But um, if you did not make it here Wednesday, could I get you to get online, mywestside.org, and get on to the, it says, um, what was it? About, and then that drops down different ministries, and look at sermons. And last Wednesday night, I preached toward this subject, the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. I'd like you to listen to it. Uh, maybe there's some other Christian. Uh, please listen to that. And uh, I, I hope that will be an encouragement. Today, I'm not going to, we talked about some in Sunday school already. We've had prayer. We're going to go on with something other than Corona this morning. All right. We're going to go on to another subject. But before we do, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you be with us this morning as we address your word. May it address our needs, Father, as you know them to be. I pray that, um, Father, our ears would be open, our eyes would be open to see, our hearts wanting to receive and be fed. Lord, speak to us. Help me, Lord. Help me to be focused on what you and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God want to be magnified and lifted up. And we know that your Bible, your Word, is alive and quick and powerful, and it will do the work if, Lord, you will let it please do so today. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Many years ago, I heard Dr. Jack Hiles, who started Hiles Anderson Christian College, he was saying that um, when he was fairly young in evangelism, he and Dr. John R. Rice that started the Sword of the Lord ministry held a meeting, I believe in St. Louis. And when they went into the church, they had like 2,000 people on Sunday morning for this crusade. Wow, it was gonna be a wonderful meeting. That afternoon, a blizzard hit. I mean, it just nailed the city down. They went from 1,000 down to 500 on Sunday night. Uh, they decided to continue the meetings. It, blizzard stayed on. On Monday night, they had 100 people there. Most of them were the choir. I mean, just the faithful people uh, on the staff that came. And uh, they did not have heat in the building like we would think of natural heat. They had just a few pot belly stoves they would take around and, and use in different places. And so they brought that down here into the auditorium and everybody came down this huge auditorium and sat down front and they sort of sat close to it. And the preacher then would stand up in the pulpit and preach to these hundred people till he got so cold he'd sit down and the other preacher would get up and they tag team and they did that through Wednesday night. And on Thursday morning, things sort of let up and Dr. Howells and, and Dr. Rice got in an airplane and they flew out. They were sitting in the seat next to each other and Dr. Howells said, I said this to Dr. Rice, what a waste of a week. He said, man, if we've have known this, we just could have stayed home and got some other things done. But as I said, well, some of these things happen. He said, listening to him 20 years afterwards, he said, I've never had a more productive week in my life. He said, I look back, it was just the most faithful Christians from that church and that Christian school that showed up to those meetings every night. And out of that meeting, almost half of those people went into the mission field and went on to further work. And they point back to that little 100 people meeting as the life-changing time. 
I can tell you when I've gone on a visitation before and I've had a visit way over here, I get nobody home, nobody home, nobody home. But then I've walked past a certain person on the sidewalk and it was the best visit I've ever had. Many times what we consider to be sort of a blowout is really God's opportunity. I think today in Sunday school, I wasn't in with all the little children, but usually maybe there's 8, 10, 15 kids in a classroom. Maybe there's just the teacher and two children. It might have been the opportunity that was needed this morning. God knows. That's his business. What's our job? To be faithful. To stand up and do what we can. And in our lives, if we will, God will use the improbable to do the impossible. That's what, God, when we're short of energy, that's when he shines the best. When we can't blame it on our own efforts, that we know only God could have done it. And often when we see something like that, we say it was a miracle. I wonder how many people will point back to these weeks and months where things, these colleges are closing down, mission trips being, you say, I'm not going to be where I planned, but God maneuvered me to be a different place than I planned to be. You know, let's get our eyes off of this, and let's get it back on this. Years ago, and you've heard me say this, my goal, often when I'm working with someone, the job seems way bigger than I've ever done before. And so I can be um, sort of flabbergasted, flat-footed, don't even know how to go forward. But I made a rule many years ago, start from the known to the unknown. Do what I can, and before you know it, you've done it. So instead of saying, I'm frustrated and I don't know what to do and I'm just out of gear, just plug in what you can do. And you let God worry about the rest. And he will use you. I'm talking spiritually here now. God will use us if we let him. But if we get focused on the wind and the waves, then we will just be neutralized in our spiritual life. So I challenge you, look and see what God may be doing. If you were in my Sunday school class this morning, we ended with a challenge. Maybe for us as Christians, the first thing that we know that we can do is to go home and examine our own life. Lord, are you wanting Richard Butts to clean up something in his life so he could be filled with more power? I'm a Sunday school teacher. Maybe God wants to clean the Sunday school teacher a little bit. I'm a bus worker. Maybe God wants me to focus on my life for a little bit. I'm a deacon. I'm, you fill out whatever the blank is. Maybe God's working on us during this period of time. Start there and work your way out. First Thessalonians chapter two, chapter two, please. Look at verse eight. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. We see Paul the Apostle here, he's talking about the, the ministry he's had with the Thessalonians, and he's writing now this letter, he said, I was affectionately desirous. Paul really was, his heart was open to really help the Thessalonians, but notice how he wanted to help them, if you will. I was desirous to have uh, imparted unto you not only the gospel of God, but also our own souls. Look at two things that, that we would see in point number one of our message this morning. The gospel when it's found in a yielded person. The gospel in a yielded person. You know, the first thing we need to be willing to do is let the gospel flow through us. A Christian 
needs to be thankful that he's saved. And today we've had two or three different ones of the men stood up and they said, praise God, we're saved. If Jesus came back, we know we have a praise God salvation that can't be taken away from us. We know the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again, he's coming back for us again. We know that if we trust him by faith, he'll wash away our sins. We understand that we can be saved. The gospel is the good news. We need to know and use the gospel. A lot of people know the gospel, but they don't use the gospel. Perhaps you think a small crowd, you're here this morning, and you've heard forever and ever the way to get saved, but you haven't yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Could I suggest to you, in just the sweetest way I know, if you got the virus and died, where would you go? Many years ago, probably 12, 15 years ago, I think I got one of the, what they really call the flu, the really bad flu, not these cold flus. I got knocked down in bed for two weeks and I wasn't able to recover for a month. I couldn't hardly make it to the bathroom without passing out and I can remember laying in the bed and the bed was even going like this. You ever been sick like that? Can you imagine some of the people that are going through the viruses and, and all the different things? It really makes you stop and think about your life. You can't just pick up your belt loops and hang on to your pants and, and make your way through it. You have to be trusting in the hand of God. The gospel is good news that if you or I were to die and we're in Christ, we'll wake up in glory. You need to use the gospel. But second of all, having known the gospel, I need to share the gospel with people around me. I've talked to two or three people already in the last couple of days. They said, I was talking to a coworker, I was talking to a neighbor, and I just got a chance to say, you know, this germ could affect any of us. And what would happen if you got it and, and you were to die? Where would you spend eternity? What a segue into the gospel. We need to ask the Lord to not only know the gospel, but be willing to use the gospel. As a pastor, I have the opportunity to preach funerals. Now, funerals are not like happy occasions. But I know this, there's usually a two to three day door of opportunities in families. Somebody has passed away, people are really considering, and many times, when I was a young preacher, I wasn't as bold and confident as I should have. And there are opportunities where it is appropriate, the person is seeking, and at the right time to use the gospel and say, you know what, if that was you laying there, buddy, you don't say it that bold. But where would you go? And they're ready to listen. I learned as a pastor, and you need to learn, we need to learn the same way. We need to use the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. It is a powerful tool for us at this time. It is an appropriate tool. It's, a, it's what God wants to manifest. It's what this world needs. I think of the book of Revelation when we were doing our study. And God in the book of Revelation is sending a plague to kill one-fourth of the world, one-third of the world. Remember? He's trying to get their attention before Jesus is finally revealed in all his glory. And you come to the end of the chapter, and it said, though one-third of the world dies, they would not repent. Wow. 
Wouldn't you think in a time of economic disaster and a time when people lost all their money, they're afraid of their health, that they might be open? Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I know this, I need to use the gospel. It is the answer that people need. They may not realize it, they may not appreciate it, but it is the answer we need to use the gospel. And then he says, second of all, you need not only give and use the gospel, know it and use it, but he says, even to give to his own soul. Give even your own life. Now, I'm not saying somebody's got the virus, you go and expose yourself. You could do that if you want. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But what is he saying here? He said, I have surrendered myself for the gospel. Nothing held Often we think of somebody like an evangelist that's on the road. Don't you respect somebody like the Degards that came here with their whole family? They have somebody teaching their children. They're all in the ministry. They go from week to week to week. They've given up a house somewhere, and they just travel all over the country, sometimes around the world. They've done it for several years. They plan to keep doing it for many more years. Have they given their own soul to the gospel? Should we do much less? And so if the gospel is going to go forward, it goes forward, listen to me, in a yielded person. In a person that's willing to lay their rights, their talents, their time aside and give them... I'm going to take this watch off, I tell you what. It keeps messing up. It had me passing out the other day, so. Yeah. So Paul basically says here, I, not only did I want to give you the gospel, but I would have given my own soul. How much are you, how much is Richard Butts willing to do to see this world come to know our Jesus? It's too late when you're on this side of the funeral casket. It's too late. It's just too late. There have been a few times in my life that I regret that I wasn't more aggressive with the gospel. I remember probably 20 years ago, somebody called me. They said, Pastor so-and-so is in downtown hospital. They said, would you please go and visit them? I did not realize how sick they were, but they were really quite sick. And I sort of didn't get to it that day. And I thought, I'll get to it tomorrow. Something happened. And then the phone call came. They had died. That really kicked me. That really made me stop and think, what's important? What's important? What's more important than the souls of your friend and family? We say that mentally. But how do we practice that in practice? Your people, this is an important thing for us to understand, that we give even our own soul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's the resurrection chapter. It talks about Jesus being the seed, this little piece of wheat that dies and is buried in the ground. That's a picture of his death burial, but it raises again and brings forth fruit unto eternal life. And it uses the picture that unless a kernel of seed dies, it can't bring forth fruit. And that is right here in this passage of scripture. Until you and I yield our own lives, probably others will not be saved. Some bring forth tenfold, some bring forth twentyfold, and some bring forth one hundredfold. My job is to yield to the Lord that he might bring life 
through the gospel in my life. I'm thankful for the gospel. I have received the gospel. I have used the gospel. But have I allowed God to use the gospel through me? And I would challenge us here that we would really look at our life. Go over, if you will, please, to Matthew chapter 17. We'll look at a second point. First, the gospel is, is in a yielded man. Matthew chapter 17. So what happens when a yielded man, God uses his gospel? What begins to happen? What is the power of the gospel? What would make it effective in my life? Matthew chapter 17, look at verse 20. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not forth but by prayer and fasting. When we allow our faith to be mixed with the gospel, number one, unmeasurable leverage of faith will move people for the gospel. The unmeasurable leverage of faith. What does leverage do? I can remember when I was a boy, we had lots of rocks on the farm. And we'd have to pick them out of the field so that we could plant. My dad would plow and up would come this big boulder and they couldn't plant the rest of the field. So we'd pick it. Now, there was no way when I was seven, my sister was nine, that we could pick up this rock and get it on this wagon. My dad said, yes, you can. He said, no, you can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Yes, you can. My dad would just go over and grab a branch of a tree, and he'd take that thing and stick it underneath it, put another little boulder underneath it, and he'd say, push down. Next thing you know, that thing's come up. The other one shove us off. He showed us how to use a lever, how to multiply yourself. And many times, if you've ever seen a crowbar, you can't get a nail out, and you're trying, and you go get a crowbar with a big, long arm on the end of it, and you stick the claws in, and now you have leverage, and you stick it, out comes that big old spike that long. You ever, Ben, have you ever heard that? Out it comes. The leverage of faith with the gospel. We need to believe that God will use us with the gospel. There is nothing more powerful than a Christian that believes that God's gospel can and will make a difference in your friends' lives. It's leverage. You can't go halfway in with the gospel. Either God's gospel is the power unto life, or it isn't. And I have faith in God's word. It changed me. It can change my friend. I need to have faith. Go over to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. We'll learn a second thing that will make my gospel more effective in my life. First, it's an unmeasurable leverage of my faith. Hebrews chapter 5. Look at verse 12. I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and then intends the heart. Notice the first part of the verse. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper. 
what do we find here? We find the unexplained power of the word of God as the gospel is preached. The gospel is not like some magic charm, like, hocus pocus be saved. That's not that kind of power. But when we take the word of God, it is the very word of God that brought forth this world. It's the same power mixed with the gospel that pierces the hard shell of the unrepentant sinner. Christians, we need to realize that when we go out with the gospel and we have the word of God, that we, we, we have a quick, lively, powerful, piercing, two-edged sword that is unmatchable by anything this world has to offer. Christians, the best thing that you and I can mix with the gospel is to memorize the word of God and memorize the verses so that God can use his word in the gospel as we go forward. Number three, we find the unpredictable results of a dedicated life. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I beseech you that you present your bodies. When a person dedicates their life to God, who knows where that's going to go to? Who could tell you that somebody uh, like D.L. Moody from the streets of Chicago could end up being one of the evangelists that would bring two million people to make a profession of faith to the gospel in their lifetime? Who could think that? Unmeasurable would be the results. Let me think. God uses yielded vessels. God's gospel is written in this book, and it's powerful, but do you know it takes God's man, woman, yielded Christian to pick up the gospel and wield it. An unyielded, confident person with the word of God. We, there's, who knows where that can go? Even a decision that's made in different ways, but it comes out as a dedication decision matters. I learned when I am Bible college that there's three kinds of ways that people make decisions depending on your personality. Some people make a volitional decision. Some people make an intellectual decision. Some people make an emotional decision. Where would you put yourself? I'll go through those again. Uh, a volitional decision, I will. I'm a will, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm sorry, I'm volitional. Some people are intellectual. Well, you give me the facts and that's the logical conclusion, I will. Then there's the emotional. Somebody hears of a great need, I'll do it! Which are you? Now, many decisions are a mixture of the three. Because of my intellect, my volition has moved, and now I feel pretty good. There's some emotional in there. But sometimes people say, what if I yielded my life and it was really emotional? Can God use an emotional decision? He absolutely can. How about the person that shows no emotion? It's the right thing to do. Sign me up. How about the person that says, I'm always in, I'm, I will. It's not how we made the decision that matters. It's that God has brought us to a point of yielding. 
I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life that God has brought me further and further in my yielding to him and giving more territory to him. And who knows where that's going to lead. When I yield something to God and the gospel through a yielded individual brings forth power. I think of some individuals in the Bible. How about Matthew, the tax collector? Can God use an IRS agent? Are you out there? Are you getting ready to pay your taxes yet? Okay. How about Peter, James, John, and Andrew? They were fishermen. Can you imagine? I don't know that they probably had the greatest education. I don't know if they did or not. But here are these, these, these fishermen. We probably were dumb, dumb fishermen mending their nets. And Jesus said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they turned the world upside down. The book of Matthew written by a tax collector. And then I think of Elisha. Old Testament, Elijah's looking for his replacement. God says, go over there, take your mantle, lay it on his shoulder and say, follow me. And Elisha, farmer, businessman, whatever you want to call him, yielded to the Lord. God used a fisherman. God used a businessman, farmer. God used a tax collector. The point is, God uses yielded people. The gospel gains in the yield of an individual. And God uses the individual. Turn to 2 Kings, please, chapter 13. 2 Kings, chapter 13. Here we have the story. Elisha's getting ready to die. So we sort of segue off this man that God's using. Used, what is Elijah and Elisha's ministries like? Full of miracles. Elijah was a well-known miracle producer, but Elisha got a double portion of Elijah's power. And if you look at the miracles of Elisha, they are double the number of Elijah. But Elijah's dead. Elisha's getting ready to die. And the king of Israel has now approached him. There's problems with people around coming to attack them. And he goes to Elisha and he says, Help me! I don't know what to do. We're in a disaster. And so in this need, we look at verse 13, chapter 13, 2 Kings, verse 14. And Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness wherever he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto Joash and wept over Joash's face. And Eli, uh, Joash said unto Elisha, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said unto the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon thy bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elijah put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. And he said, Elisha said to Joash, take the arrows. So Joash took them. And Joash uh, said unto the, uh, Elisha said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And he smote three times, thrice, and stayed. That means he stopped. And the man of God was wroth. Elisha was angry with the king. 
And he said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times, then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou had consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but three times, thrice. So what has this got to do with the gospel and all the rest? Let's just go back. We're going to take the gospel employed actively and put that across from this. We find in verse 14 that what we would look to as the normal power of God was coming to an end. Elijah done his work, Elisha's done, and now the king says, what are we going to do? Tell me what we're going to do. You're dying. I don't know what to do. We don't move. Yeah, there comes an end to all things. And there's new times that come in our life. As a pastor, one of the things that I examine for our ministry here at Westside Baptist Church is we don't do everything exactly like we did 40 years ago. We preach the gospel the same. We hold the principles the same. The word of God is the same. But things change. And in your life and in my life, if we're going to be successful, we have to stay with the motion that God brings in our life. Elisha lay dying. God, in the scriptures, almost always puts his blessings on a man, a yielded man's ministry. Listen to this. God does not put his blessing on these two by fours. God doesn't put his blessing on our two Ford vans out there. God doesn't put his blessings on this pulpit. God puts his blessing on yielded people. As a pastor, God blesses Westside Baptist Church probably a lot through me. Sunday school teacher, your class is blessed through your yieldedness. People at work where there are lots of unsaved people, God uses Christians in a secular environment. God uses Christians in the dirty, nasty environment of politics. God uses yielded Christian businessmen in a dog-eat-dog -dog world. God uses yielded and sometimes churches switch pastors, a Sunday school teacher moves on, a deacon leaves, a bus worker moves on, an evangelist dies. It's not the end of the world. God uses yielded people. D.L. Moody years ago was well known to have heard a message where somebody said, the world has yet to see a man 100% totally yielded to God. And Moody was said to have come to the altar and said, God, I want to be that first man. Wouldn't that be something in this service? This service may be less attended than normal, that maybe just one or two people would say, you know what, the world needs the gospel more than anything else. They need Jesus Christ. And I hear pastor up there calling us to step forward in the power of the gospel. And God's looking for the gospel in yielded lives. And you say, I want to be that person at my work. I want my family to know Christ. I want to be the one that brings Jesus to my family. God uses yielded people. 
well-known speaker of the past said that everything in ministry rises and falls on dedicated leadership. We need men and women that will step forward as leaders in this generation. People that will be willing to let the power of God, the gospel, come through them and they will be a channel of God's work. Are you such a person? Well, the king saw Elisha going off and he was worried. And so he said, what do I do? Look at verse 15. He told him what the answer was. Let me flip back over there. And Elisha said unto him, take bows and arrows. And he took him bows and arrows. So he take the bow and arrow. Many churches have a lot of machinery, but they don't have many bows and arrows. What are you talking about, Pastor? We got the right literature. We got the right songs. We got the right order of service. We have the right buildings. We have the right order of service. But where are the people that would be willing to be shot out into service for God? God's looking for bows and arrows. Are you willing to be God's arrow into this generation? Pick up the bows and arrows. Look at verse 16. And he said unto the king of Syria, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. Well, that's an interesting thing. Put your hands upon the king's hands. Put your hands upon the bow. You know what? You need to put your hands in godly hands. I can't tell you more, more power than hang. Iron sharpens iron. Godliness sharpens godliness. Uh, service sharpens service. Dedication sharpens dedication. Gospel witnessing sharpens gospel witnessing. Put your hands upon godly hands and let them put their hands upon you. I've said this before. One of the things that's so hard when you watch it as a pastor sometimes is you see all of the arrows that could be if they would be. But they won't let you put your hands upon them. He says, take and yield your hands. Parents, have you ever tried to teach your kids how to do something with their hands? One of the first things I remember with my children is teaching them when they still had shoestrings. Now they have Velcro. Okay. But teaching them to tie shoestrings. And I can remember my oldest son was a little stubborn. I said, you take the right over the left, you bring it underneath, you bring it up, and you make a bow, go around, bring it under, and sling back through like that. And we did that a couple times. And I said, let me put my hands on it. He said, I can do it myself, Daddy. I said, let me help you. Daddy, I said, oh, okay, you do it. He reached down with his strings, and he go right over. <laughs> Follow it. Uh, let me help. I can do it. I want to help. I can do it. Do you ever have a child like that? Okay. God has a lot of children like that. God is saying, let me help you. Let, 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 let the preacher in. Let that older Christian, let that lady come alongside you. Let those godly hands show you how I can do it myself. You're from another generation. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. Are you easily led? Are you available? Listen, are you teachable? 
I think one of the hardest things I can remember as I came up out of college and getting ready is to take criticism. It, usually they call it critiquing. Critiquing is not an easy thing. Somebody goes down and says, you know, you itched your nose while you're preaching, you touched your hair, you know, you, you rubbed your back a little bit, your tie was crooked. I don't, I don't want to hear it from you. But we need to yield our hands to godly people. Put your hands in Elisha's hands, king. I'm king. I don't need the old preacher to tell me how to shoot a bow and arrow. Can you see this? Put your hands in God's hands. Put your hands where the Holy Spirit can speak to you. So, put your hands. Let God work in your life. Make yourself available. Look at chapter, uh, verse 17. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. And he said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the deliverance of Syria, for thou shalt smite Syria and, and Aphek till thou hast consumed him three things that we would learn here. First, he said, I want you to open the window. You open the window, a lot of things. Open the door of opportunity. Christians, you just got to open yourself up to how God can use you. You got to be available. Open the window. Let God use. There's an opportunity, but you got to open the window. You got to get out there and be ready. One of the things, I, I am not a good getter-upper in the morning. My wife is the opposite. People ask, does your wife beat you up? Yes, every morning. Boy, are you dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I learned several years ago, as I sort of rework in my life, that the early bird does get the worm. They also get first place in the bathroom and everything else. Okay, all right. So... I learned that when my time that I've set, I don't, as I got older, I don't have to use an alarm clock anymore. Isn't that neat? It just goes off inside my head anymore. So it goes off, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock, whatever time I've set to get up. If, if when I know that time is hit and I roll over and I look and that's the time, get up. Open the window. When your rollover is the problem, nah, you don't do that. I can tell nobody else does that, okay? If you'd roll the other way and let your feet get on the ground and get over and get going, aren't you glad about five seconds, five minutes later, you say, man, this day is good. I'm getting some stuff done. How about spiritually? God touches my heart and I open the window. God says, they keep talking about they need a Sunday school teacher down there. I could teach. Uh, I'll open. Pastor, do you need a Sunday school teacher? Well, yes. Okay. Need a bus worker. God touched my Would you like a bus worker? We need someone to clean. I'll open the door. God opens your heart towards somebody at work to witness to him. He said, well, God, if you'll show me, I'll, I'll... God says, yes. Open the window. Let God. Second window we open. Open the word of God to let the word of God shine in and show us where to shoot. I open my heart, I open the word of God, and I let God uh, begin to work in my life. Look at the next thing. Not only do you open the window to God's will, and you open so that uh, God is looking for people that are willing to shoot. We need to get out and take the word of God. Not just contain it, we need to shoot. Shoot at something. 
have a target in your life. The world gets out of the way of people that have a mission that God's given them. And what we need is people with a vision and a target. This week, as you go out, are you willing to open up the door for God to use your life? We're talking about the gospel in a yielded life of somebody that's willing to open the windows, pick up the arrow, and shoot at something. God will use it. And let me tell you, I learned a long time ago, you shoot till you hit something. It's easy when you're preaching. Pastor Stephen, you've done this. You've been preaching along, and things are sort of dead, like they are today. No, just sort of preaching along, and, and nothing seems to happen. And all of a sudden, you're preaching, and all of a sudden, everybody goes, Oh, I must have hit on something. People start going, mm, 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 mm. well, let's back up a little bit. We'll cry it another direction. And when you hit, you know. Have you ever had that happen? And maybe you just sort of parked there for four hours and just kept preaching at it this way and this way until finally you hit something and you say, time to give an invitation. And you know that God has worked in a life and there was a response. And you give an invitation and lives are changed. Listen, when you shoot the arrow, you shoot at something, and when you hit, you'll know. You go out to take the gospel, it seems like they're not interested, they're not interested, they're not interested. Boing, this person's interested. Forget about the others. Shoot until you hit something. See, that sounds sort of silly. You mean I, I go out maybe out soul winning, and I go out Saturday and Saturday and Saturday, and there's nothing there? I can tell you a lot of fishermen that go out every Saturday and catch nothing, but if they catch one, they tell everybody about it. Christians, we need to be willing to take the gospel and shoot. Notice the next thing he says, look if you will, please. You shoot the arrow, open the window, you shoot the arrow, and then he says in verse 18, take the arrows, and he took them. What's it, take the arrows? Use the resources, use your training, use your life. Employ them into active service. Use the arrows. One of the things that I, as a pastor, need to organize the arrows in our church, and we need to be shooting them out. The old folks' homes, into the, into the trailer parks, into the apartment complexes, into the neighborhoods, into the Sunday school. We employ the arrows. Shoot the arrows. But then the story ends with a sort of an uninteresting ending. It says, pick up, in verse 18 and 19, pick up the arrows, and I want you to smite the arrows on the ground. I sort of picture that he was supposed to pick up the arrows and go, dunk, 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 like this. But the Bible says he picked up the arrows, and he said, smite the, smite the arrows on the ground, once, twice, three times. Okay. He said, did I tell you to stop? Why did you stop? And the Bible says in this passage, that Elisha became very upset. If you had kept going to five or even six times, the victory you would have had over your enemies would be 100% complete. But you stopped. You fell short. Well, I picture this as we don't quit till God says quit. Christians, have you stopped serving the Lord? Have you stopped serving the gospel? One preacher said concerning this passage, God deplores the sin of low expectations. You smote it three times, God was looking for six times. 
Paul's request over and over again in the New Testament, in spite of the fact that he was thrown in jail and left for dead different places, he says, pray that with all boldness I may speak the gospel as I ought to. Lord, help me to be a six times smiter. Christians, many times we fall short. He said, if you had done the other, you would have had total victory, total deliverance. Dr. Bob Sr. said it this way, finish the job. Don't quit. When everybody else is quitting, don't quit. Though the stars fall, don't quit. Do right. And you and I as Christians need to finish the job for God. I'd like to end with a Bible story this morning. We find back in 2 Chronicles, I'm sorry, Samuel, the story of Saul, King Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan was a bold young man. Remember, he was David's good friend. And his dad, Saul, was messing up, not doing right. And there came a point in Saul's life where he was pretty well neutralized and he was in battle against the Philistines and he was sort of, his camp was here, their camp was there, and it didn't look like they were going to have victory and Saul was all hesitating. And Jonathan went over to, with his armor bearer to the garrison of the Philistines up on a little hill. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, I know my dad said we're all supposed to stay in camp. Do you see that garrison up there? You come and help me. His armor bearer, who's supposed to have his back and all the rest, I'll, I'll come with you. So Jonathan goes, and it says they were between two big rocks and about an acre of land, and they were hold, the, the Philistines are up there. And Jonathan climbs up, and he discovers himself to them. And he says, I'm here. And the first boy Philistine came out, and Jonathan slew him. And his armor bearer had his back, and he slew him. Next thing you know, 20 Philistines are dead. Just Jonathan, his armor bearer. And pretty soon, the rest of the Philistines start coming in. The rest of Israel hears that there's a battle up here, and it must be that somebody is fighting from uh, Israel against them. And dad says, let's make a quick number. Count. Who, who's, it's your son. He's not here. What? He's actually up there with his armor bearer. We see him fighting. And the Bible says the daddy, the king, gathered all the, Phil, all the Israelites, and they came up to rescue Jonathan. By the time it was done, Israel had the victory. Chased off the Philistines. And it goes down to a young man that had a bold trust in God his father should have had. Listen, we need a new generation that's like Jonathan. That'll let the power of the gospel be in their lives. Can I just tell you, families that are here, if we will pick up the power of the gospel in this generation, we can make a difference. I don't care if it's one of us, ten of us, a hundred of us. God's looking for yielded people for the gospel to flow through. Will you be that person? His boldness brought total victory. I was talking to Pastor Stephen this morning. I said, you know, one of the things that my heart is, even during this virus scare, is not to ignore our ministry to what we need to minister, but look what is the opportunity of this disaster? What is the opportunity? 
And I dare say the greatest opportunity is the gospel. That is the greatest. And God, would you give us boldness, commitment, trust, leverage by faith in the word of God through yielded lives to have an impact. And who knows how far the ripples will go from just a handful of yielded my challenge to you. Teenage, adult, whoever we may be. Heavenly Father, may you challenge our hearts to be bold in the gospel, to trust you, to let you work through us in ways we never dreamed possible. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed,